Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number four. I'm Mike. And I'm Joshua. And uh, we've been busy again the last few weeks. This podcast is a little outside the typical two-week window, but uh, we're getting it done before the end of the year. Uh, primarily, I guess, going on uh, in M&T world is... Um, we put together a um, trailer for our new tables video. Uh, that's out and available for watching if you want to get an idea as to what that video is all about. Um, we're really excited about it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we realized that we had a bunch of excerpts and clips on Instagram and that kind of thing. Um, but we had a number of people say, you know, ask for a trailer. So we decided we realized, oh yeah, we don't really have like a sequential trailer that shows each step or, you know, right. what it, the full contents of the video. So we put that together so that people could see uh, what that process is like, this table that I'm building and or get a glimpse into um, what the, what the video holds. So um, if you're interested in that, um, we recommend watching that trailer. That's a pretty good representation of where right. we're headed with the video. Yep. So yeah, I'm happy exactly. with the way that turned out. Yep, and we are uh, we are still awaiting our shipment of DVDs from the printer, and as soon as we get those, we'll be sending them out. Uh, obviously, the streaming and digital download version is available immediately. Yeah. So, but they should be here any time. Yeah, right? we're I mean, totally have been expecting them any day. Yeah. So, they will be out very very shortly. Yeah. But we've been just focused on the shop. I mean, in, in our time, yeah. we're waiting on this DVD, but we've been working our butts off on this workshop, um, freezing our butts off. Yeah, and it's been, uh, uh, we're, we're looking out this window right now, and there's, you know, ni nice blanket of snow on the ground. Uh, but we've been out, you know, working with the snow swirling around us, and we're extremely happy to not be on the roof with the snow swirling around us. Yeah, but... yeah we got the roof done. Was it the, Just was it the day before or the two days before? It the was storm. really close. The yeah. first storm we had, it was like we had just finished the roof, pulled down the staging, and then there came all yeah. the snow. And, and there's been, been snow on the roof ever since. Yeah, And so it's was... doing great. It's holding up. It all looks nice. <laughs> it's a good thing when your <laughs> roof doesn't leak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now we're just, uh, we, we turn to the walls because... Uh, we're insulating from the outside so that the timber frame it will be exposed on the inside. So we're um, we started building two by four walls on the outside of the frame. And we're putting blue foam in it and that kind of thing. It's not glorious work. No. Um, but we're we're going to be warm. Yeah, we're we are pushing the the limits of the expanding foam uh, temperature wise. Like we're <laughs> we're warming the cans, then we bring them out and spray for a while, and it seems to expand fine, and then it starts going a little more slowly, and then we warm them up again. So, yeah. but we are actually just realizing we're gonna we gotta run wire today. Um, we have we're gonna be uh, running electric upstairs because we have you know a lot of computer stuff and that kind of thing we need electricity for. Yeah. But um, downstairs in the shop. Uh, we're not going to have any electricity at all. Yeah. Or any overhead lighting. I right. Kind of goes without saying, but that's kind of a big decision to make. And we're, we're saying we're going to totally be relying on natural light. We have lots of windows down there. Yeah. And uh, in the winter, we will have short work days down there. Yeah. Like, whoa, it's getting dark about 4 o'clock, 4.10, 4.15. <laughs> you can't see too much. So, yeah. 
it'll be really interesting when we do you know video shoots and that kind of thing to yeah negotiate our time with the light and all that thing all that kind of stuff but um I, I, I we really prefer working in natural light a lot of times we turn the lights off in the sh uh, studio anyways yeah um and you know worst case we will have electric up over our heads upstairs so we can always drop an extension cord for a bench lamp yeah if we have some late night thing to finish up but um, yeah, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of people are skeptical. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we're looking forward to having that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to, you know, crunch on that, get that ready and, and buttoned up totally, um, because we are we kind of have to turn our sights on issue four, producing that. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, we've been working on things, but we're just trying to get focused on that. Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh our authors busily writing right now and uh the projects that joshua and i are working on um jim is hard at work yeah. uh and so yeah it's uh it's going to be a good issue as we like saying about most of the issues but this one in particular no it's really good um a couple of things that we're working on for it um you know a lot of people ask us questions and we feel like uh there's a lot of good information that we could get out there about the idea of, um, you know, we're always talking up wooden bodied planes, especially uh, four planes. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to be doing an article on finding and restoring wooden bodied planes. Yeah. Specific bench planes. Bench planes. Yeah. 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 Not molding planes. Because a lot of times, right. what, what I've found a lot of the information about restoring wooden planes, usually it's like, some molding plane or something, right? Um, but uh, I, you know, I just I, I wanted to focus on bench planes to show yeah. how to. Um, basically, when you find something that's all full of junk and it's kind of worn and it's kind of beat up and it's from an antique store, how do you make that a usable tool again? Right. So um, that's yeah, we're excited to get that information out there. Um, those yeah. are the tools we use for all of our work, and so. And those are the tools that that you should use too. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it's it is a game changer when you have a yeah. nicely tuned wooden bodied four plane. Um, so we are we are excited about putting that article together. We've been uh, actively, uh, you know, with an eye towards the future. We've been scarfing up for uh, specifically four planes as often as we see them. Um, you know, we know that up, up here in Maine, we're kind of in a gold mine when it comes to old tools uh but that's kind of an unpredictable thing you don't ever know how long that'll last how long some of these stores will be open uh right. so we want to take advantage as much as possible um so we have you know lots of examples to draw from we've picked up planes with with all kinds of issues some with no issues at all but it'll be a good uh good compilation of of tools to draw from for this yeah. article well and we, we also were collecting them for students someday when they yeah. come to the, the workshop and take some classes um to have all those tools available to them exactly um but i was just actually remembering uh you know we sent uh three planes to jim mcconnell mm -hmm. um and jim our uh, content editor he was talking about how he how he preferred metal body planes. We said, "Oh, you should try these wooden planes." And he said, "I haven't tried ones that worked well." So we sent him some, and I was really he was really excited. He was about excited, them. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're hoping that this article will do something like that uh, 
for your readers that haven't had that experience working with uh, wooden planes. Uh, this hopefully is an empowering thing to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal to fix yeah. these up. Um, so Yeah, just some basic things to understand about them and how they're different maybe from metal-bodied planes. And then once you get those, it's it's easy to run with them. Yeah. I also am writing an article that's kind of launching off of our new tables video um, that's focused on uh, pre-industrial layout, the process of laying out joinery for tables. Um, the, the most efficient way to mark out mortises, mark out tenons, cut them, put the table together. Um, so I, I do those things in the video, but I really wanted an article that was focused on the fastest way to batch mark everything and reference off together. And so I'm putting that together. Um, and I think that it'll be a, a useful uh, print visual reference that is sort of complementary to the video. Mm. You can look at it and say, okay, this is the fastest way from you know A to Z. So uh, I'm excited to put that one together. I think it'll be yeah helpful. Yeah, and uh, you know lots of uh, other stuff that you'll be hearing more about in upcoming months as we look to our uh, early April release of issue four. Yeah. But we also, uh, we were talking about 2018. 2018. We are almost there. Yeah. And we have, uh, besides uh, with issue five, we're doing this magazine twice a year. Besides issue five in fall, um, we have for 2018, we have another apprenticeship video uh, scheduled. We're working out the outline and details on that. Mm -hmm. And this is one actually Mike is going to be doing. So I'm really excited to be on the other side of the camera. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I can say the same thing, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so this this video is going to focus uh, more outside the shop than in. Actually, um, we really want to unpack uh, the, the the mindset of the pre-industrial maker when when they go looking for materials, sourcing materials. They had this understanding of you know, the woods around them and the trees and the way they grew. And because, you know, lumber processing wasn't just, you know, running down to the store and buying this perfectly milled stuff that you're going to use. Uh, oftentimes they had an eye on a certain tree for a certain project. <clears throat> um, so what we'd like to do is really, is really unpack that. The idea that lumber comes from the woods and it grows. And so we're going to be spending some time, you know, outside looking around, looking at different types of trees, types of woods, how to harvest materials, how to uh, process them, get them ready, how to dry them or not dry them, depending on the project you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we have uh, uh, this could we have so many ideas about this one and it's yeah. really going to be exciting, I think. And we're, we're talking about it basically as like. You know, we've talked for a long time about how the green woodworking world and period furniture, the period furniture world, they don't seem to overlap too much. Right. Um, and so, you know, like with M&T, we're always trying to bridge these pieces together. Yeah, because uh, historically they were, yeah, they were together. Those worlds were not these wildly divergent things. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, a lot of period furniture was built with so-called green woodworking technology yeah. uh, and techniques. And so um, I, I think that this is a really great way. This We're basically th viewing this video as like 
like a foundations video for green woodworking, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the basic skills, how to process, harvest, store, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's a really great way to segue into, you know, building chairs from green wood later and right. that kind of thing. So it'll be really uh, eye-opening to me. Mike knows so much more about trees and, and the woods and that kind of stuff than I do. <laughs> I don't know about that. So um, it's uh, every anytime we're like talking about trees in their natural state, I always have to like refer to him like, "Hey, Mike, how does this work?" And so uh, I will. I know I'm gonna learn a lot just from behind the camera. So yeah, and there it's uh, been fun for me. There are so many good resources out there that uh, I'm studying and drawing on and. Uh, you know, there's so much, there's always so much more to learn. And we just hope that this video will be a good uh, reference and resource. And we really look forward to getting to filming. Uh, we'll do a, probably film a, a little bit during the winter, but mostly during the spring. Yeah. So, yeah. And then a um, few other things in store for 2018. Obviously, as Joshua mentioned, we will have another issue of the magazine coming out, issue five. This will be... Um, our first year of doing two well every six months you yeah, know we've, right. we've done like beginning of the year and very end of the year so they're nearly a year apart but this this will be um our first year of having our two our biannual format right. yep for the magazine uh issue five will be coming out in october it feels like it's like twice as much work it kind of feels that way strangely <laughs> enough i don't know why just planning and getting everything yeah. set up way in advance and longer lead times and oh yeah wow how does this work okay I'm... yeah and fortunately we have uh you know some really good uh wise uh advisors in helping us with this kind of foresight you know megan fitzpatrick is right. is really on board with us helping us out you know laying out how how to most efficiently um, get through this this doubled up workload and uh, so our our process is streamlining and we're putting things together and I think it'll be good a uh, bit of a learning curve but it's going to be really good yeah so what about what else we've we been talking about yeah what else we have one uh the we're always talking about t-shirt and sticker ideas yeah. <laughs> and we have some we have some I think good ones and so you will be seeing some things along those lines uh coming up in 2018 um you know want to be uh clever and not too edgy but you know promote some uh good conversations and actually for our next t-shirt we commissioned an artist uh to draw uh, to draw the uh, the front of the shirt so we're working out those details um and i'm liking how it's turning out we're trying to you know figure out how to make it for screen printing and make it this impacting image. And I've been tweaking this idea in my head. So yeah, it's, I can see it now it's coming into shape. So yeah. um, I expect that we'd be printing the shirts pretty soon in the next few weeks. Um, yeah. Shannon, our printer, he said he's going to be ready to do them anytime. So yeah, yeah, we, uh, we can say that I think a new shirt is on the horizon. On it's the coming horizon. soon. And uh, perhaps the potential for other apparel, Yep. in the year as well yeah so keep your eyes out for that yeah so yeah we've been uh outside working on the shop yep freezing cold some days are colder than others and we're not it's not even winter yet i keep reminding myself of that you know when, when does when does winter officially start is it the end of the 20th beginning of the 21st 
couple days. Uh, what? Today? Tomorrow? Oh, wait. Yeah, what is today? What is today? <laughs> Winter is almost here. Yep. But, uh, you know, a few weeks ago when it was you know single digits or teens or whatever and like wow it's not even really winter yet yeah so we've been as you've been outside working in 20 degree weather 10 degree weather at some mm-hmm. points i mean yeah um we were talking about this guy wim hoff uh, the the ice man the ice man and he he was a he's a guy that's uh, trained his body to be able to tolerate extreme cold so uh, some people have called him like a daredevil um but he does like a lot of mind focus i guess it's sort of like a meditation kind of thing to control his body to retain heat during extreme cold so he'll Mm -hmm. sit in ice baths he climbed mount everest in shorts and sneakers you know it's just like crazy stuff yeah he has world records for like being on ice for two hours you know and his uh, obviously doctors are monitoring him and physiologically there's there's nothing dangerous happening so there's definitely something to his methods and yeah he's not he's not a quack he has a lot of information and yeah. knowledge um, well we were just we were just talking about yeah. you know we're outside and we're like oh man this is horrible <laughs> this wind is so cold it's yeah. going blowing up my jacket yeah. and cold um but then you know i was realizing so you know two months past of it's getting colder and colder and colder and then the other day i was outside this morning splitting up the last of my firewood in a sweater feeling pretty comfortable and then i kind of stopped and i knew it was really cold and i thought huh i wonder what the temperature is and i looked and it was 15 degrees yeah i thought that's fahrenheit by the way oh yeah fahrenheit sorry uh fahrenheit and i thought 15 degrees fahrenheit that is really cold but i remember when it was you know when it touched 40 yeah and we were like it was just like layer of murder you know yeah so I, i was just thinking about broader than that you know this whole idea of this happens every year to me where i'm surprised in fall i get really cold and it's so painful yeah and then by january and february i really feel like i could go do my animal chores go milk my goat in my t-shirt almost like you just get used to yeah the environment and we were talking about that with work too just hard physical labor yeah it's it's the same thing it's like contextual Mm -hmm. if you're used to working hard then doing a little bit of work is you don't even think about it yeah um so we were just doing a lot of talking about you know pre-industrial artisans working in the woods working 12 hour days six days a week used to a lot of physical labor yeah and so for them yeah their 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 bodies have adapted you know and acclimated to the the regularity of labor and so to take on a task like people talk about you know ripping a board as yeah, being, right, oh right. my goodness i can't believe you hand rip that stuff well <laughs> if you're doing it all the time if you're regularly using hand tools if your body is used to that work it's not a big deal yeah and you know i just thought i got used to it even being a non-athletic person but to somebody who is used to doing that kind of work all the time it was not even something that would enter into their mind as a lot of work it just right. was no big deal whatsoever um it may take them time but it, they didn't feel like oh this is so terrible i can't believe i have to saw this it just wasn't a big deal yeah um so yeah it's been really interesting to, to be outside working hard 
freezing my, I can't feel my fingers and I, yeah, you know, miss the nail and I hit my finger and I'm just like, <laughs> oh my goodness, this is horrible. Good times. I realize I am such a sissy. <laughs> so the thing that, that Wim Hof says is comfort is your enemy, right? Yeah. Is that it? Comfort um, is your enemy or is it? I, I think that might be a paraphrase. He does say that cold is your warm friend. Yeah. Um, but that's the idea that, yeah, comfort is not always a should good not thing. be our greatest pursuit yeah because right. you miss out on a lot and i mean that's just like all the the people that do the you know uh distance running stuff and the yep. mountain climbing stuff and the crazy extreme sports stuff you know there's something in people that just really wants to to push out of their comfort zone and to to challenge themselves and it's very fulfilling so i think that even you know mundane physical labor can do that you're pushing your body and you're yeah you're stepping outside of that comfort zone and saying you know rather than saying i just rather sip coffee and sit in front of my wood stove yeah if you get outside and split some firewood it's sort of like yeah it's a check to your body of, yeah wake up you're alive you know <laughs> yeah yeah wake up you're alive that's a, that's a good good way to look at it for sure so so check check him out uh wim hof if you feel like getting into like ice baths and <laughs> And not being <laughs> affected by the cold, that's the place to look. Yeah, and we'll put a link uh, to some information about him in the in the blog post. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last Saturday, I went to a an event uh, locally in Ellsworth, Maine, the crossroads of Down East Maine, as they call it. It's called the Fire Gathering, and it's this really cool get together of local craftspeople. Uh, the focus was. Uh, I, originally around like glass blowing and so they open this up at the studio and you can watch the glass blowing but there are other people there uh doing textiles and jewelry making and um our friends aaron and deirdre were there this year selling they carve wooden spoons and they do shrink pots and they do bowls and all kinds of you know they do reclaimed lumber and they do green woodworking and stuff um we met them uh officially uh this year at our issue three packing party they yep. came up and helped us out and they're awesome uh their business is called rusted pulchritude so you should check that out uh i unofficially met them on instagram which is how a lot of these things happen so i started following you know these interesting spoon carvers and stuff and i kept seeing this beautiful stuff from rusted pulchritude and for all i knew they were in australia you know uh but I, I would communicate a little bit. And then uh, Joshua and I did a little video on YouTube about sourcing sharpening stones. And we mentioned either there or on Instagram something about this quarry in Deer Isle, Little Deer Isle. And they said, oh, sometimes they, uh, they wrote to me and said, sometimes uh, we get up that way to Deer Isle. Uh, can you tell me more about this place? And I'm like, oh, really? So where are you? And they told me. And I said, wait a second, you're like, a mile up the road from me <laughs> uh, it was just really interesting that you know this whole broad world and they're on the same road as us and i pass their house every day uh but but they were there selling stuff and uh i love their work they do uh aaron does you know beautiful carving in the handles of these spoons and so it was really cool to see them and catch up and uh definitely check them out yeah cool so this this episode yeah. is focused on sourcing lumber. Uh, we we wanted to talk about um, different ways to get lumber, um, some of the pros and cons to it, 
um, how we get our lumber. Yeah. And we actually have, you know, some people ask us some questions that were some regular questions um, about that kind of thing. Um, especially just thinking about the, uh, the, the next coming apprenticeship video, looking at the woods and sourcing lumber and stuff. We thought it'd be good to kind of take some time to talk about sourcing lumber for cabinet making or mm -hmm. for chair making or whatever, <clears throat> the different ways to do it. Um, and so, yeah, we want to talk about different ways to, to put that together, put together your little uh, collection of uh, wood that you can draw from and, yep. and how to store it. So I guess the first question that um, I'm asked regularly, if I'm making something yeah, or if I have like a completed project, the first question I always hear is, what's your favorite wood to work? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. What, what what's is... your favorite wood to work, Joshua? Uh, yeah. What's my favorite wood? Yeah. Well, we just said this last time. We did. We said, everyone, <laughs> you should use eastern white pine. It's great. Uh, it is great. It. I guess it's not, you know, universally available, though it should be, because it's great. But there are equivalents, you know, all over the U.S. and Canada and, and other countries. There, There is the local equivalent of a, of a, um, a softwood that's yeah. easy to work and is... Um, doesn't you know warp too badly um yeah. so you'd have to you'd have to find out what that equivalent is locally but that's not eastern white pine is great mm -hmm. but it it's not good for everything no it is not so what about hardwoods what kind of hardwoods <clears throat> do you like to work yeah i um i i definitely do like sticking with the things we have around here yeah um i really like birch i really like birch um for uh carving i like uh, especially yellow birch, but even uh, white birch, you know, paper birch. Um, it it doesn't get talked about as much, but I find that um, sometimes you can discover really striking figure in in white birch. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm I'm primarily t speaking of like cutting it in the woods. Like that's that's where I'm coming from. Like I I will find most of my projects are smaller, and I can find the wood I need in the firewood pile or in the process of building the firewood pile, I can cut a piece, you know, 36 inches long and plan on using it later for something. Um, but I really like birch. I also am really fond of um, maple just because the the figure can get crazy in maple. You can get in your- Soft or hard maple you're talking about? Um, I, well, I've, I've seen it in, in, in both. Um, yeah. I do like hard maple. Um, I have on our property, we have lots of red maple, so that's considered a soft maple. Right. But um, I've seen the, the tiger maple, I've seen bird's eye maple, you know, even in that. And yeah. so um, I really like maple just for the figure, especially, you know, spalted maple is awesome. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I really like soft maple. Mm. I Hard maple is just... It's hard. It's, it's really, really a lot harder than soft yeah. maple. Um, so... You can work it with hand tools. It's no big deal. It's just soft maple is so much nicer. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I think I also really like you know, the, the most desirable wood for period furniture changed a few times. Mm. But it always kind of went back. Besides your um, country furniture, vernacular furniture right. that was using maple or something that was dyed, um, the high style woods mm. kind of after the oak period, it 
kind of went back and forth between walnut and mahogany. Mm. And yeah. I know why. Mm-hmm. Because they're nice and soft, but they're, they hold a really crisp edge for carving and that kind of stuff. Walnut, black walnut is so great to work. Yeah. Um, mahogany is so great to work. Um, you can get figured versions of them, and reversing grain is hard to work. But, um, but the wood itself is just really, really pleasant to work. So I, I think that those are, if you're going to be purchasing lumber, you know, walnut is an yeah. awesome, awesome way to go. Unless you have, I don't have walnut trees growing in my backyard. Yeah, I don't either. So <laughs> Sadly. If you did, yeah. that's what you should be cutting down. That's great. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, along those lines, where can you look for wood besides going up to the big box store up the road and buying like a shrink-wrapped board? Uh, <laughs> Individually shrink-wrapped. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it's like we, we talk about sometimes the fact that just like food doesn't come from the grocery store, wood doesn't necessarily come from the uh, local home improvement center. Right. Um, so what are our options? Uh, well, the home improvement center, there is decent stuff there you yeah. can get. I mean, in fact, even the um, our local hardware store, Lumberyard. Mm-hmm. We were actually sourcing some fascia boards for the shop, and yeah, some they had some really, nice, really beautiful nice pine, pine. For, for this. Clear, um, clear, yeah, beautiful clear uh, pine, but it's three quarters of an inch thick. Yeah, they don't have perfect twelve quarter stock, you know. Yeah. So you're limited with that, but you can you can do a lot with um, material from hardware stores or you know lumber yards uh, like that. Yeah, but um, you know I. For, for hardwoods, most of the wood that I'm getting is stuff that's um, given to me that I mm. that somebody called me because they know I'm a woodworker, and they said, "Oh, hey, I have this pile of stuff I had milled up years back. It's been sitting there. I got nothing yeah. to do with it. You, do you want it? Yeah. Um, I also, you know, do some reclaimed stuff. So basically, I have this mishmash of hardwoods and stuff that I have stored uh, that I kind of pull from. Uh, I, I don't know. What would you say? What's your go-to besides going driving to the store to go buy a, an, an individual board? Yeah, uh, a lot of my stuff too that I have stored is it's from you know old shelves or things like that. It's yeah. um, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but like a lot of times you drive around and you see somebody has like an old dining room table sitting out, and it's occasionally really awesome wood i mean beat up and all that but there's there's still life in it um so i i also kind of uh i'm also i like the idea of getting to know your local uh your local mill right you know, that, if i mean you, that's what i was assuming yeah assuming you have a local mill uh and most people actually do and they might not even know about it local might be an hour away yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, I have a lumber yard for hardwoods for a bigger project um, where I can't just, you know, get it out of old reclaimed stock or something, and I'm going to build a bigger project. Yeah. I will, I call a lumber yard that's three hours from me. Yeah. Um, but they deliver in my area once a week for, it's like a $30 flat fee for yeah. delivery. So it's not that big of a deal to just order what right. I need, and then I'll see it on Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I think that's a really good option. And I was actually going to mention, um, Brendan Gaffney at Popular Woodworking Magazine just did this um, 
what is he he called it the uh, the local lumberyard map. Oh, so yeah. he created this huge yeah. map where people were sharing their favorite lumberyards, and he has it on the website. If you search for uh, popular woodworking local lumberyard map, or Brendan Gaffney, uh, you, you'd find that map. It's a really great resource to be able to click. I think just about every state has a few lumber yards in it. And you can find those and contact them and talk with them about wow. what they have. And I'm, I would imagine a good number of them would deliver. So yeah. that's a good yeah. a good option. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, a couple years ago, um, we have a place uh, near us that does, they do historic reenactments and things like that. There is a water-powered sash mill on the site and oftentimes they will have that up and running for visitors to come in and check out and things like that and so we are occasionally able to get like i was saying a couple years ago we went and completely loaded your van to the gills with stuff that they had yeah stacked there so if you have a local water driven <laughs> sash mill uh that's a great place to go for some nice rough cut lumber that's gonna have some awesome mill marks on it that you can leave exposed on the underside of your tabletop and all yeah. that uh so all you that live in sturbridge massachusetts yeah that's a or good bradley place. maine bradley maine set. yep uh, there are probably a few others i in bet the country, but... a handful but other than that yeah but i mean about if you're there is a lot of rough cut lumber all over the place even besides the um the like the sash mill stuff bandsaw mills actually look yeah. look pretty similar to sash mills um and so rough lumber is around if mm -hmm. you even search in craigslist yeah rough boards yeah. lumber you know it's, you'll find it um and there's a lot of good stuff but there's some junk too and so if you if like mike if somebody calls you and they say you know, I have the stack of boards. You want mm -hmm. it? Yeah. I'll give you the whole stack for 50 bucks. Yeah. So you have some skin in the game. You really right. don't want junk. Yeah. What? How would you assess uh, the quality of the boards? Where would you start with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Obviously, you want to go and look at it. Uh, I would I would almost start you know, at the bottom. Like, look and see if your bottom boards are up off the ground where they've been stacked in place like if stuff's starting to rot um that's a bad sign but also just you know sight down a few boards look for warpage look for uneven ripping you know maybe somebody was running the mill that they they didn't know what they were doing really well or yeah. uh you know the sides i mean obviously all that can be dealt with if if the boards are thick enough um you can take away unevenness or or you know non-parallel sides and things like that but um yeah so, sometimes you know at the lumber yard you you see these pictures on instagram all the time people sighting down boards going well that's a nice one and it's you know it's got like six inches of bow or eight inches of bow or like a hard bend in it somewhere where it looks like somebody parked the forklift overnight right uh so you always want to look for that because you will be fighting those the entire time when you're trying to work with lumber like that yeah Definitely. Definitely. What do you think? I mean, the first thing, even before you even get there, the first thing I would be looking for is who milled this. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it sounds goofy, but I mean, really, if it's someone that said, oh, yeah, I've never done this before, but I have this really great tree in my backyard, so I took it down and I figured out how to mill it. Yeah. 
I bought this chainsaw mill on eBay for like 60 bucks. Yeah, and I mean, I would be suspicious that, because really great Sawyers know what furniture grade lumber is and they know what trees to look for because you can take a really crazy tree that has problems and mill it up into slabs and sell it to somebody but yeah. a, a really good sawyer knows what trees are going to cause problems for furniture makers down the yeah. road so that's the other thing i would say is you're looking for straight grain clear stuff and i really if somebody milled it who has never really milled or doesn't really know what they're doing i'm pretty suspicious of it that it's yeah it could potentially have issues um but if, if somebody you know like i have people say i hired a sawyer to come out and mill this stuff mm. and it looks beautiful the cuts are really clean and just a burning or some crazy right. like what the <laughs> heck is going on here it was a dull blade yeah i mean there's i it's worth taking it it has to be the right price mm. but in my experience most people just given the stuff to me yeah they just don't really care i mean Think about it. if you don't want a pile of boards in your garage anymore. Yeah. You just want the pile yeah, of boards out of your garage. Yeah, you just give it away. <laughs> so, yeah. um, don't shop it around. Yeah, exactly. get some money for it. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, something to to consider is, you know, who milled it. Also, you can look, like Mike said, look for rot if it's gotten wet. Um, as yeah. funny as it sounds, smell it because yeah, right. if, usually they're stored outdoors or in barns and animals pee on them. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, that won't that won't be good for your, you know, your daughter's hope chest that you're building. No. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, that's actually really common. So, not many people have some climate controlled tight storage facility for rough boards. Yeah. So, you if animals got in there, you're going to want to kind of look carefully to make sure that these things weren't defiled. Yeah. And a smell that's going to come out later even after planing it, if yeah. it's deep in the wood, that's yeah. junk. That's yeah. that's junk. So, yeah. I'd watch out for that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Smell it. Uh, Joshua, have you ever mail-ordered lumber, wood? Like, like, what do you mean mail-ordered? Like, so you go online or you go into a catalog. Remember catalogs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you flip through, and they have a page or two pages with different lumber and different sizes, and you pick your board, and you write in the order form, or you call them up, or you enter it in the... Uh, on the website and you receive that board wow um i've done it for veneer mm -hmm. you know some special crotch mahogany right, veneer, right, right. and here's this flitch and whatever yep. but no not for boards have yep. you uh you know i have uh i don't think they do it anymore but i have bought boards from grizzly tools yeah. uh i'm gonna say 15 years ago um i was you know making canoe paddles and so i want a piece of ash for you know paddle shafts and so i go to grizzly tools and i would order a piece of ash because at that point i i didn't know where i could get it locally i yeah. had no idea it's just easier sure. to to look it up in the catalog i got the grizzly tool catalog yep i was on their list so i'd go oh well well that's a decent price i'll just order that and be done with it yeah that makes sense um i found that today you can go on amazon <laughs> And order a board, and, and it, it's like Amazon Prime, so it's like free shipping if you have Prime or if not it's over Not that I'm recommending that. <laughs> I would not recommend that. Honestly, maybe other people have had good experiences, yeah. but to buy, especially for something important that you're making, uh, you I, I would say you don't know what you're going to get. You want to lay eyes on it before you commit to buying it. Yeah. Um, 
is is my advice. Yeah. Look at, and plus, you can't smell it if you're ordering it from Amazon, right? <laughs> you can't smell you it. You can't do the sniff test. Oh, but, and I think whether like if I call my lumber yard from three hours away, yeah, I tell them I tell them what I'm, what my project is, what I need. Uh, they often ask, well, what parts do you need? Because we can look at the widths of the boards we have and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so this lumber yard's really great um, for helping. They take time to talk with me to figure out what I need. But then I always order twenty five percent more. Exactly. Yeah. You when you're when you're buying a board from Amazon, you're getting that board, and and if the grain orientation is funky yeah. or there's a knot where you don't want it or there's something wrong with it yeah you want extra so that's yeah. the one thing i would say about sight unseen lumber purchases yeah have enough more than yeah, enough definitely sure. um but a lot of my lumber is from reclaimed stuff yeah um and i like it because i can get really great old wide boards um and i can get stuff for free yeah <laughs> i mean it's, it might require a little bit of work like yeah like, where would you say you typically get reclaimed stuff? Is it, it was in a house? It was in an old piece of furniture? I mean, I, I get it from people are doing house renovations and they say, oh, we got all this old wood. Oh, you know what? There's that, that guy who makes furniture I heard of. And they give, he'll take anything. He'll take anything. So, I mean, I, you know, it's a small little community. And so we all know each other. And so they'll call me and, and ask me if I want it. Um, so getting plugged in with, uh, contractors or that kind of thing are good especially if you live in an area with old houses that have wide boards um but yeah i mean just come it's just come mostly from that way it's either from a house being renovated or Mm -hmm. people that had stuff milled up and aren't going to use it yeah um but there are downsides to it oh yeah yeah i mean uh i don't know if if it's number one number one for me is nails fasteners yeah uh you know you can see stuff on the surface, but a lot of times things are a little more hidden. You run yeah. a plane over it and you go, oh, that wasn't a good sound. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, caution is necessary, obviously. Um, yeah, and you can get a metal detector yeah. and, and scan it. But basically, if it looks pretty suspicious and kind of gnarly, I just don't even use it. Right. Um, but, for example, like with floorboards... The nailing is predictable. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have the nailing pattern, and you usually have staining around where the nails are. Yeah, and so it, it, there's not going to be some hidden uh, nail buried somewhere. Usually, I'll say yeah. usually. Yep. You're not but I, that. I mean, when I'm when I say I use reclaimed materials, if I have, let's say, I have is an 18 inch wide pine flooring board, and I say, "Wow, what a great board! I want to use this," mm. and it's nailed in at the edges. Yeah. That to me is a 15 inch wide board. Yeah. It's not an 18 inch yeah, wide board. Unless exactly. it's really short between the nails. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing is, I think the major downside is the dimensional limitations because of stains or nail holes or whatever. I don't incorporate old nail holes into my furniture right. as like some shabby chic cool I mean, thing. You, you, yeah. That's a popular thing to do. Yeah. I, I mean, I just don't. go get a pallet if you want that. And then you just put legs on it and there's your coffee. Table. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I just. I'm just trying to get decent material that's going to the landfill otherwise. Right. Um, so that's a limitation to me is fastener holes. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Um, and staining, a lot of staining can be planed through, mm. but yeah, sometimes you don't have a lot of thickness there and you need it all and yeah. you got some weird coloration. 
Yeah. Then it's a paint piece. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really like uh, finding... So I, I call myself a freegan. Okay. I, I have difficulty turning something down if it's free, even if I see no use for it. You can ask my wife about this. She, she would concur. Uh, if it's free, I don't see a use for it immediately, but I think, oh, maybe if I just store it and like, think about it for a while. So a lot of times, okay, around, around here in more rural areas, uh, they have something that we call like big trash pickup day where people clean out their attic and they sit it out during a certain time of the year and then the the local garbage collectors will come by and pick it up and you go cruising the roads and you're like wow look at that great piece of furniture <laughs> that i i have no use for but the top is sometimes you will find like wide chestnut or yeah um mahogany and so to me it's worth Keeping your eyes open. What day is that? I don't I know wanna, what day that I is. I want to know what I day always is. know because I start seeing furniture out along oh, the road. Wow. Um, but some places near near us, like some nicer communities, you can really do pretty well. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. Give me a call when that I day will. comes. I we'll, will. We'll rent a truck and go cruising around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how about cutting your own? You you have done some of that. Uh, I've done some of it. I've uh, worked with a friend who has a bandsaw mill, mm. and I had him mill it. But, you know, I helped him. We did it together, but he had the mill. Um, but also I was given um, an Alaskan mill. Yeah. Which, like a chainsaw mill, and mm -hmm. that's basically just a jig, a $100 jig or something that you lock onto your chainsaw. Um, I have a 70cc chainsaw, so that really helps. Um, if you had a smaller chainsaw, yeah. using an Alaskan mill is not yeah. ideal. You'll burn the blade up, burn yeah. the bar. Yeah, it's not good. Um, it. And I definitely, I have a rip chain for the chainsaw. So if you have a, if you have a decent chainsaw, it's a pretty low investment way to get into it. I'll say that your kerf is huge. <laughs> right. So your half, half the board is waste. And it's and it's very slow. It's yeah. very slow. So if it's really not the way to get boards, but it's a great way to get a slab or mm. some bigger pieces. Right. Um, but I mean, it really, the only application to me that really makes sense for what I'm doing is like a two or three inch thick slab, a wide yeah. slab. That makes sense for like legs or something. Yeah. I just rive it. Yeah. I just split it. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Is that... Yeah. I mean, that's, I, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that's, for the most part, where I like to get stuff is from, you know, from a standing tree or from stuff that I've cut down from firewood or stuff that, you know, a storm has taken down on somebody's property. They have a tree that comes down and, uh, you know, you see a nice clear section of the trunk and you say, well, I might set that aside. I'm not going to chop that and split it up for firewood. Um, so, yeah, riving, splitting, the turning the pieces into... Uh, small enough chunks that you can manage to get into your your vehicle. Right. right. Um, yeah, I, I would say that, that that is the way to go when you can go out and look for exactly what you need uh, for the project you're doing. Whether whether you're doing a green woodworking project, you know, making a Windsor chair or turning a bowl, you know, on a pole lathe or something like that, 
carving spoons, you know, spoon carvers are always in the woods looking for, you know, fruit wood branches or things like that. Um, and, and to me, that's the way to go. But I mean, even for like cabinet makers or something, having stuff milled up and set aside. Yeah. I mean, air dried lumber is awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome. So yeah. if you can have some stuff milled up and set aside and deal with it next year or two years from now or whatever, that's, that's an awesome resource to be pulling from. Um, if you do have, if, if you happen to own some woods with some good hardwoods on it or even softwoods, mm. um, decent furniture grade trees, um, it can be worth your time and investment to hire a sawyer to come to your property and to mill that into boards for you. Yeah. Um, I know some people do that. Um, actually, Garrett Hack does that. He takes down all the trees in his, all his furniture wood, he takes down on his property and then he has a he hires a sawyer to come out, I don't know once a year or something, and they mill it all up. Yeah, and the only thing to to consider with that is for somebody who's who's never milled before and they see a tree and they go, oh wow, I could get a lot of great boards out of that. You have to know that fifty percent of that wood is going to yeah. be not suitable for furniture. Yeah, it's got a bark all over it. It's got yeah too short flat or too song. whatever. It's, it's flat on right. So there's there's going to be stuff. A lot of the tree is waste or firewood or whatever. Right. Um, but to get nice, good, clear, straight. And also you're only using the bottom eight to 15 feet of the yeah. tree. Everything up from there is just firewood. Yeah. So there's a lot to consider with that, that you, what you're ending up with at the end, that's furniture grade wood is relatively little. Yeah. So um, that can be a good way to go. But you really have to have quality wood and a good sawyer who can work efficiently. And if you take the trees down in advance, that's going to help. I've We've known a few people that said, oh, wow, I want to mill my own wood. Mm -hmm. I know. I'll buy a bandsaw mill. Yeah. And then I'll mill my own trees. Oh, and since I have it, yeah. then I'll I'll sell this service to people. Yeah. And then I'll make some money on it. Yeah. And this can be a business. Yeah. And what I've just found is I've heard so many people talk about those businesses failing yeah. um, it's really hard to make your money back on that kind of thing and i'm i'm totally sure that there's some awesome sawyer out there that says no i have a great business plan for using a bandsaw mill to feed your family but usually <laughs> right. the story is it yeah. doesn't work out or it yeah. sits outside and it gets rusty or you know <clears throat> yeah so it, if you're just looking for some wood yeah it's best to go with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as speaking of about furniture, um, you know, our friend Peter Follinsby is making beautiful 17th century furniture, uh, obviously not using a Sawyer, but he gets he, he he's always talking about the fact that the material, the quality of the material is so important yeah. for that kind of thing. So he's he's riving out boards and planks mm -hmm. from, you know, usually red oak and you know he he finds these trees i don't know some of those logs that i see pictures of him uh breaking down have got to be what 30 inches in diameter yeah. or more right and um so for for him you know the quality of the material is paramount it's even more important in riving than it is yeah for sawing absolutely um yeah I, some woods are not rivable right they're yes. just too twisted the grain they're just yeah yeah definitely and so I, I also think it's worth mentioning that, you know, in the past two issues of, of M&T, we've had um, articles on 
building with green wood wood yep, that we right. start you did a um a banister back chair yep build and then in issue three i did a little candle stand from a tree yep and uh and that is a that's an authentic way of the you know building furniture yeah straight absolutely. from the woods yep what about storing how would you store that stuff when you get it let's say you have some <clears throat> freshly milled stuff yeah what would you do with it how do you keep it safe keep it from rotting yeah um put it in your living room put it that would work <laughs> yep uh it might shrink a little faster than you'd like um but yeah so if you're talking about freshly milled stuff um you definitely want it dry but not too dry right you kind of like i know you're you have lumber stored outside yeah and it's it's stickered so it's um the boards are all separate you don't want to stack freshly milled stuff right on top of itself because it will just rot where it's wet um but you want it undercover but not too well undercover right yeah i think i mean for me is i would say you want it undercover you mm -hmm. don't want the sun or rain beating on it right. you don't want snow piling on it right like one of my piles uh, <laughs> uh but you want as much ventilation as you can possibly yeah. get so it actually you know ironically like it looks like trash but you'll find like these piles out and it's just like mine pieces of plywood on top or metal roofing just mm -hmm. laying right on the top of the stack yeah that is like the best way to store lumber because it's keeping the elements off the top but it's completely ventilated at the bottom yeah now ideally what i want to actually do uh for next to our workshop is to build essentially like a pole barn without mm. walls that has a roof on it and have that be lumber storage. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine has one kind of like that and he has some really thick felt that he uh, is hanging over the walls. So it's completely breathable, but it's keeping snow out of there mm. and rain. So right. that's Yeah, perfect. that's the way to that's go. That's like awesome. So lots and lots of ventilation, but out of the direct sun or rain. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I would say. Yeah. And, and outside, uh, I you don't need some fancy kiln you're not trying to accelerate the drying you're not trying right just leave it alone mm -hmm. leave it stacked it'll the do stickers, its thing let it yep. breathe and it'll be it'll be fine yep so. and you know stuff for for greenwood projects is uh is essentially it, it's the same in that you want it um you know sheltered you don't want it sitting out like birch especially is notorious as soon as you cut it and it's on the ground it's starting to rot basically because all the moisture is trapped inside um so for that you definitely want to be getting the bark off like if you want a log uh set aside around for bowl turning or if something you want to arrive later um what i usually do is you want to remove the bark so the water is not trapped in but you also want to seal the ends so it's sort of trapped in it's this interesting thing because if a log dries too quickly it'll just start to check on the end grain. well and why is that though that's because you have more moisture coming out the end grain than yeah, the side than at the a sides. faster rate yeah. rather yeah and so you want to even you want to even it out let right. it evaporate through the sides and slow it through the end grain right um someone else uh i've, I've read suggests and i've started doing it storing logs up on end so that sap in the pores can drain now I've not actually observed that, but that's interesting. I've been it. doing it, um, storing logs vertically that I want to keep for later. Um, so uh, definitely 
it's it's kind of a mysterious topic. Like, how do you store green wood? Some people put bowl blanks in the freezer. Wow. Uh, a lot yeah. of people I know will will keep stuff in wet shavings as they're working on it. But yeah, uh, keep it out of the sun. Keep it out of the rain. Uh, if it's if you want to keep it green, it needs to be a little wet, but not too wet. Yeah, definitely good advice. Great. Okay. So uh, well, thank you for listening. Uh, we uh, this is a good talk. I like uh, talking about wood i like talking about sourcing lumber so i think it's uh, a good thing to go to explore Um, but we definitely have a limited experience what we do is not necessarily the way that you guys do it yeah so if you want to leave a comment below uh, about how you do it or if you have further questions about how we do um, feel free that'd be great Um, also if you don't yet subscribe to our podcast uh, feel free to do that uh, through itunes or stitcher or whatever uh, whatever way you find your podcasts, uh, subscribe and we'll continue to update every couple of weeks or so. Uh, so yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Yeah. And, uh, hope everyone has a very happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, happy new year. And we will see you all in 2018. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm.